You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 4 through 7. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, but after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I have been, um, I probably don't even need to sell you on this, that we live in a culture, we live in a time that is really uh, fueled by fear. We live in a fear-based culture. You have the uh, the news is fear-based, where you um, the the tease to get you to turn the news back on later is usually something that you you know fear you fear a little bit. We have um, people profit off fear. I had no idea. I subscribed on YouTube to like a like a movie trailer channel, and whenever new trailers come out, I can just watch them just to see what's coming out. I had no idea how many horror movies are made. Like it felt like weekly there was a new, and I never watched those trailers because I'm a big wuss, but there's like, um, like these horror movies are getting made. Like people intentionally going to this stuff to be frightened by the gore. You look at uh, politics, obviously, is largely fear-based. I think um, COVID probably um, threw fear and into this place of normalcy. I think it, 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 it um, pushed it even farther that way to just very basic things like um, like you send a text to somebody and you haven't heard back in a while and then you, I don't know, I haven't heard back. And then you look at it and you realize, oh no, what if, what if he took it away that I didn't mean it? What if that, I thought it was being cute and funny, but I didn't put the, you know, smiley emoticon and so, or the emoji. And so, you know, are they going to take it a certain way? And do I send it now? Do I send the little emoji now? So it will be fine or no, now it's too late. And like, if you've never done this, talk to a teenager sometime, by the way. Um, and they'll tell you, like you send a text and then you can start analyzing every single thing. Or you, you, have, a, you have a conversation and then afterwards can just analyze, analyze, analyze. And, and it can just become this fear that we have. What if they took this away? I didn't mean it. When I saw what happened, and I, I don't have all my thoughts together, but um, when I saw what happened with the Supreme Court, one of the first things I did was I, I knew it was going to cause unrest. And so I started praying. Started praying for the justices. I started praying for the inevitable rioting that was going to happen. Bad things can happen. We live in this time where we are just um, told to be fearful. The message of the Bible is the exact opposite. And so how do we actually do that? Well, <clears throat> in this text right here, 
there's part at the beginning, and then it'll be not July, it'll be about six weeks from now. Um, we'll see the next part of this. Um, but here is the summary of what Jesus says about dealing with fear. He says, to see our fears in light of their longevity, and then later in the chapter, their probability. To see our fears in light of their longevity and probability. In other words, um, <clears throat> can, can the thing I'm fearing, how long will the negative impact of it actually last in my life? And then later what he's going to say when he talks about worry, which is similar to fear, um, he's going to talk about probability. To just stop and just say, you're worried about this thing. Is there a probability? Like, what is the probability it's actually going to happen? Or are you worried about something that probably isn't going to happen? And so today he really is talking about longevity, but later he'll talk probability. So this is, <clears throat> I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job, for example. This is hypothetical. I hope this is hypothetical. I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. Well, if you think about um, longevity, you might start thinking, well, how, how long would I really be out of work? And it might be, it might be a while, and sometimes it's very difficult, but sometimes it's, I'm really concerned, but I can probably find another job. And so the negative effect of it may not last all that long, or you start saving for it, or you start wondering about it, and so you build maybe, you're, you save a little bit more, so now if you're out for a while, then all of a sudden it doesn't really have quite the same uh, impact. Or, like, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. Like, will you? Like, is it just rumors sort of swirling around? Because you could hear a rumor swirling around by somebody you have no idea where they even heard it, that they might be doing layoffs, and fear can go like this, and the probability it may happen to you might be down here somewhere. And so there's this chasm between where we fear and the probability that it's going to happen and actually the long-term impact of the thing that we're fearing, if it ever happens to begin with. And so that's what Jesus is going to do. I think it's brilliant how he does it. I, I did look up, I looked up what the Americans say their greatest fears are, um, and I found a good summary of it. There's a Washington Post uh, big survey they did in 2017, and during VBS, I went around and asked the kids if they knew what these were, which was quite fun. Um, <clears throat> so the 10 things were, um, glossophobia was the first one, which like a glossary word, so that's fear of public speaking. Acrophobia fear of heights. I'm not afraid of public speaking, but I'm about to hit like six in a row for me. Um, entomophobia, the fear of bugs and insects. Aquaphobia. One kid said he thought it was the fear of Aquaman, which I thought was funny, um, but it's not. It's, uh, it's water or fear of drowning. Trypanophobia, maybe is how you say that. Fear of blood or the fear of needles. I have several of these, as I said. Um, the next one, claustrophobia, is not, as one kid said, the fear of Santa, which was my favorite answer ever. Uh, <laughs> uh, this one, I actually have this one. I've, it's, it's that fear of enclosed spaces. Uh, aviophobia is fear of flying. Xenophobia, the fear of strangers. <clears throat> Maybe it's pronounced nyctophobia, perhaps. The fear of either nighttime or darkness. And then number 10 that was interesting, kinemortophobia, kine like kinetic, like moving or walking, and then morte is dead, death. So it's the fear of the walking dead. It's the fear of zombies was number 10 <laughs> in America. 
I can think of many other things that I would put on the list ahead of that, but for some reason, fear of zombies uh, made it out there. Now, some of these things, when you look at this list, and there's others, <clears throat> there's others here, or you may look, and I actually have several of these, you may have some of these too, and there's some things that you can, in a sense, control your fear of. So if you have a fear of bugs, for example, or a specific bug you, that you shouldn't be scared of, you can go do research and learn and get one as a pet, and you can sort of work your way into being not scared of them, you know, that kind of thing. But there's some things that you can't control. I said, I'm like blood and needles and all that. I can't do it. My wife had three C-sections and with our kids, and her face was right here, and they had the sheet right here. And the guy's like, you can look if you want. And I was like, no, you don't want me to look, I promise. And my wife's face is here. And for all of our deliveries, my face is right here, right next to her going, you can do it, sweetie, you got this. Because I can't, you don't want dad passed out on the floor while this beautiful moment's happening, you know? And so some of them, I, maybe like that could change. I don't know if I'd ever get over, I have claustrophobia. They do, I did read that they have something they do now to try and they're kind of experimenting, that it's a room that the walls move and there's certain, like they're the opacity, like you can see through them. And then you live in this room for a couple weeks or something and the walls just slowly start to go in. And so you don't see the difference and they get a little more opaque. So you can't see a little foggier. So you can't quite see through them. And it's, they said, it's so gradual that you can start to overcome this fear of claustrophobia. I said, no, thank you. I am good. We'll let other people do that, and you can let me know how it goes. Um, <clears throat> so some of these things you might be able to sort of get over, and some things you might go, I, I just don't know if that's even possible for me to get over it. But what we're talking about today, Jesus is going to say we shouldn't fear these certain things, which lets us know that if he says don't fear, then there's something by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome that fear. And in fact, when I start, when we look at it, and you may have heard it when she read it, when you hear what he's talking about, you might go, oh, it feels impossible. It's possible. When Jesus says, don't fear, he's saying you have a choice about whether or not you fear this. By the power of my Holy Spirit, you don't have to live in fear of this, is what he's going to say. In fact, counselors, when it comes to worry or fear, one of the first things they do is say, that thing doesn't make you scared or make you worried, but it's there or does something and you respond that way. And what we're, they're trying to do is to take the power out of the thing and realize that you're, you're giving a response to it. And that's one of the things Jesus is doing. But I also think because he's talking about this, it's probably pretty natural to have some of these fears. And it's not, he's not saying it's right and okay. He's just saying, I get it. It's natural. And so he's saying, here's how you, here's how you uh, deal with them. When we see our fears in light of their longevity and their probability, um, <clears throat> I, I picture a lot of people living today, and this may or may not be you, like sitting at the base of a cliff and looking up, and there are just millions and millions and millions of little pebbles strewn across, like little, little bitty rocks just strewn over there, all the fears that some, somebody could just come up and go and just flick one, and here it comes. Some people live like that, just looking up and going, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And maybe each individual, is, individual one is not necessarily huge, some of them are, but the, the combined force of all these rocks coming at you can be overwhelming. Jesus is gonna give us hope. 
Look at what he says. The context here is he's talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes, the scribes being the lawyers of the day. Um, <clears throat> and um, he's calling out their hypocrisy because they're comparing themselves. They are, they're looking good on the outside, but they're crumbling away on the inside. They fear the opinions of other people. And so they're trying to look good to please them and to feel better about themselves. One commentator is writing about this. He says, what is the root of their fakery? Which I didn't know was a word. And he says, it's the fear of mankind. What if they don't like me? What if they don't think I'm good enough? And Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those people who, and you could almost say, can only kill the body. And after that have nothing more that they can do. Don't fear those who can only kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. And he says, but I will warn you <clears throat> whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. First part sounds good. Second one sounds a little rough. We'll get there and I'll explain it. What he's saying is the most that anybody in the entire world could do to you, the worst, worst, worst thing is that they might take your life. And I, uh, I, I Googled this, so take this for what it's worth. I don't know. But there's, uh, Google tells me the oldest person to ever live is this French woman who lived to be 122 and a half. 122 and a half. <clears throat> and if I look at that and I think, boy, if I had a trial or something from the world from the instant I was born and I lived to be 122 and a half and it was just trial after trial after trial after trial after trial, even that length is nothing in comparison to eternity. That's what Jesus is telling them. He's talking about the life after this, the most they could do is take your life. He's calling out their people pleasing. He's really calling out their people fearing is what they're doing. They're trying to please the people that they, they fear, that they respect, that they're nervous about what they might do to them or what they might think about them. And he is calling it out in them. And he says, what is the worst thing that they could possibly do? Go to that, think about that, and then go, okay, it's probably not even gonna happen. How do, we, how do we do that? How do we keep this eternal perspective about the things I fear are actually pretty, usually pretty temporary? They're only about this life because Christians, we have nothing to fear for eternity if we are in Christ. We have nothing to fear for eternity if we're in Christ. But how do we, how do we make this life not so fearful? And I think one of the big answers he's trying to give here is perspective. Perspective. I think one of the, um, the worst thing that's happening in our culture is the division of generations. We've got the young, you know, kids over here, the young adults over here, the middle-aged adults, you got the older adults, and you know what, you really shouldn't like interact and talk. And I mean, the kids, they don't really want to be with their parents or friends of their parents. They just want to be with their friends. One, one uh, pastor, and he's also a researcher, calls it the systematic abandonment of the next generation. You know why that's Tough thing is, how is a young person supposed to get perspective? We have, um, like I'm thinking about here, we have mops, mothers of preschoolers, and we have mentor moms that work with these young moms. And you know why I think it's such a great ministry? Is because a mom, uh, a young mom can be there and an older mom can be there who's, who's been where they've been. 
and can watch them going, oh my goodness, this is, I'm so nervous about this. I'm so scared about this. I'm just wondering about this and what if and what if and what if. And it's someone that can go, I get that. I've been there, but relax. She can give perspective. It's an outside perspective. And all of a sudden, fear can dissipate. When I, um, let me know the story about when we came here, um, I had, it was very, very obvious that this was the Lord's moving in my life and Nikki's life. It was very obvious. And I talked to several people and they were like, yeah, you should. And then I went back because I thought, well, I can't move my kids in the middle of the school year. That's impossible, right? And so I had my ace in the hole and I went and met with these five different men. Um, I met with five because the first two didn't give me the answer I wanted. And so I just kept meeting, hoping someone would help me. And I went and met with them. And I remember the first guy, I was like, well, I can't move my kids in the middle of the year. So, you know. There's my answer right there, right? And I'll never forget, he just goes, kids are pretty resilient. I was like, all right, I'm gonna have another meeting with somebody else then. And I met with another older, wiser man, and he said the exact same phrase, ah, kids are pretty resilient. I met with five different people, ah, kids are, kids are resilient, kids are resilient, kids are resilient, kids are resilient. Like, I wanted to go, did you guys all call each other? Like, did you know that I was gonna talk to you? And all of a sudden, what started happening is I started looking at these older men that were saying that, and it, it took my excuse off the table to be, to, to be disobedient. It took my excuse off the table, and I, I just thought, I'm, I've got to listen to this. And I have to tell you, like, I didn't, like, internalize it and believe it. I just went, I'm going to trust that they have the perspective, and the thing that I am fearing will be okay. My fear is unnecessary. My fear is temporary. We're talking with young people about like what's going on in high school. And I love just going, I don't ever talk to any of my high school friends anymore. I get, that, I get that it's a big deal that they said that or they did that. And I get that it hurts. Give it some time. He says, I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. So let me explain this because what he's really saying here, and you have to take the next verse with it, so I'll show you that. What he's really saying here is only God has the power of something more than this life. Nobody else does that. He's the, the author of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life, <clears throat> that there's life after this. And the word that says authority to cast into hell um, your, your translation, if you use a different translation, might say something different. It's the word Gehenna. The ESV translators just use the word hell. But um, it, uh, it comes from the Hebrew word that means the Valley of Hinnom, which is a place outside Jerusalem. Um, it's this valley, and it's outside Jerusalem's southern wall. And listen to what happened there in this place, Gehenna, or translated here, hell. There were human sacrifices that took there by the pagan nations. There was a time when there, um, not the Israelites, but um, others were sacrificing to Molech and um, they sacrificed children and they threw their bodies out there. Babylon came and had a siege on the city of Jerusalem and they took the corpses and they threw them out into this valley. And in fact, by the time this day came along, what had happened was they said, rather than clean all this up, it's easier to just light, just set fire to it. And so it just burned. So picture death and burning. I know this is uplifting, I'm sorry. Death and like burning that's happening there and it became a trash heap. And they would, it's just like constantly burning and they would throw their trash to it. So you can get the idea. Jeremiah actually, um, I think it was, calls this place, yep, the Valley of Slaughter. That's, what's, that's what happened there. That's the imagery that they have. 
And so he's saying you should not fear people, you should fear God, you should think eternally. And then we hear that and go, oh, now wait a minute, that doesn't sound good. I said you gotta take the next verse with it. Look at this. Verse six. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Then it says, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And here it is. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Fear not. The most common command in the New Testament, fear not. So here's what he said so far. Don't fear people. You're thinking short-term. Fear God, the one who holds eternity in his hand. And then when you stand before God, know that it is a God that is looking at you with love. It says, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? The, it's the, um, to Asarion, it's called, and it's, it's, um, uh, it's essentially about an hour's work. So he's saying two sparrows are pretty cheap is what he's trying to say here. Aren't five, or five sparrows, excuse me, five sparrows sold for two pennies. Five sparrows are pretty cheap. And it says, but not even one of them is forgotten by God. And he's doing something that was very common from the Jewish teachers in the day. It was um, Kalval Homer. They had an actual name for it. The rabbis would teach this way. Rabbi Hillel, maybe a name you recognize. Very, he, this is a big thing that he did. And it was called from the lesser to the greater. And he's showing um, God cares about sparrows. And he's saying um, he, he cares about them. And he cares about you. You are more valuable than them. And we're supposed to go, wait a minute, if he cares about them, lesser, how much more does he care about us, the greater? That's what he's trying to communicate here. This is in Matthew's gospel too. Um, when the Pharisees go to Jesus and there's a man with a withered hand and they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he's going to use this back at them. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they, wanted, they did it so they might accuse him. And he said, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls in a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Lesser, a sheep. And then he says, of how much more value is a man than, than, man than a sheep? And then he says, so it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You'd help a sheep, wouldn't you? Isn't a person more important than a sheep? Of course, you'd help a sheep, so therefore you must help a person. And what he's saying here is he's saying, God knows the sparrows. And the sparrows are the lesser. And then it says, God knows the very number of hairs on your head. Now think about like a grandma for just a minute. Think with a grandma with her granddaughter. And I, I don't know, it's fun watching that dynamic because I don't know a greater human love than that. And I watched the <clears throat> grandma with her granddaughter that would do anything for her, that um, wants to go be with her, that wants to uh, help her, that will take any phone call that any any card or any craft that's made will just go in the primo place, like on the mantle, you know, like all this love. But there's not a single grandma that knows how many hairs are on that kid's head. She doesn't know her that well. And he's saying, God knows you intimately. God knows you that well. And so when we say, I don't fear them, I fear God. And then I realize that God is looking at me, knowing me full well and looking with love. And when I look at him, I, I, I will tell you, I don't have anything to fear because I know that I'm a Christian, that I am in Christ Jesus. 
that he has died on the cross and rose from the grave. And my hope is not that I stand before God and say, I'm a pretty good guy. My hope is that I stand before God and I say, I'm not a really good guy, but I trust in the one that you sent, the Lord Jesus Christ, to sacrifice on my behalf. And so I don't have to stand before God wondering. That's what he's saying. We see our fears in light of their longevity, and then also later we'll see probability. There's life after this, that we can be secure in the promises of God. There's a German Catholic bishop from about 1200 AD that says, they who die in the Lord are blessed on account of two things which immediately follow, for they enter into the most sweet rest and enjoy the most delicate refreshment. As I think about what do we do with this, I mean, the thing to think is, is um, there's practical ways that we can try and say, let's, let's, not fear, let's not live lives of fear of looking up at pebbles and thinking they're about to all, at any minute, could just come you know, plummeting down at us. Ask yourself, what are the things in your life that sort of stoke fear in you? And what are the things that relieve it a bit? Like if you log onto social media and you just leave mad and angry and it seems like the entire world is just going down this you know, slippery slope of godlessness, maybe don't get on social media. I know very few people that watch the nightly news and afterwards go, ah, I feel so refreshed. <laughs> maybe turn it off. Are there people around you? Are there conversations that come up that you just need to say, we're just not going to go there? Are there people that you put in your life that, that are just this uplifting type, that maybe they have a lot of that eternal perspective and you can feed off each other a little bit? Can you spend time with them? Are there people that just seems their whole life is one big, they're just this little ball of stress and fear? And then I don't know why, but a lot of Christians are like, well, just come on over and let's just be best of friends. And, and, and I'm just going to let you keep pulling me into that fear. See, there's very practical things that we can do. There's probably some um, email blurbs that some people subscribe to that they get done and just, ah, unsubscribe. It's like your thumb. It takes your thumb We have to see our fears in light of their longevity and also their probability. So very practically, think about something that might be fearful for you right now, something that you might be nervous about. And really think about what is the longevity of it? Because it's got to be just this life at a maximum. And I don't mean to dismiss like actual hurt that people feel. I don't mean to dismiss that at all. We have a loving God that knows the hairs on our head and we can go to him even in this life as we're um, going through pain and hurt. So I, I don't mean to minimize that. But what's something you might fear? And ask yourself, what is the longevity of it? And then um, I'm getting ahead of myself, but what's the probability that that actually comes to pass? I think Christians, oftentimes we live in fear of other people's opinions. We live in fear of what might happen in this world and we forget that we are in Christ Jesus. And this life is a blip. And we have eternity with him. Let's see our lives, let's see our fears in light of that eternal perspective. My favorite quote, I think, from Dwight Moody is, um, 
He said to a friend one time, he said, someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody of Northfield is dead, but don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that sin cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned into his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. That which is born of the spirit will live forever. Let's see our fears in light of eternity.